0: Greetings, adventure! Welcome to D20 Academy. I'm your host, Shallow Kanashiro, and today is episode 15, the class spotlight on the cleric. Alright, so first off, I want to apologize for posting this so late. Um, I did a lot of things today. I had a lot of work, um, so I haven't really had a lot of free time. Um, but I did find a good little window here, um, so, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Uh so sorry about um the episode being so late. Um but yeah, uh today is uh another class spotlight on the cleric. This is the third one we've done. Um I think at this point I'll just go in alphabetical order um of the classes. So, you know, this is a segment of the podcast where I go over all the details on a class including, you know, like what the heck it is, its strengths and weaknesses, race and background synergy, some of its key features, its subclasses, the playstyle it best suits, kind of some of my experience with it maybe. Just, you know, anything to help uh, new players, uh, you know, better understand the, this class, and maybe if they are interested in playing it. Or even people who have been playing the game for a while, just kind of refresh their memory. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, tell them something that maybe they didn't know, or remind them why it's such an awesome class and why they should play it next. Um, also, I probably will not be able to release a third episode this week. Um, Friday, I am swamped. I got a ton of things I got to do. Um, and tomorrow, I also have some things, so if I do have time tomorrow, I'll create, a Friday's episode, uh, but it may, be the case where I can't post a third episode this week, so I apologize for that. Um, like I mentioned before, I'm getting into a ton of things, um, so I won't be able to post as frequent as, you know, I once was. Also, I'm probably moving Monster Monday and maybe even these class spotlights to bi-weekly, um, just because... Definitely for the Monster Mondays, it takes a lot and lots of work and research um, to get those things done. So even though I love doing them, it's just a big chunk of my time uh, that goes into those, and you know I'm not having a ton of time anymore with the little things I'm getting involved in. But I still want to, uh, you know, be uploading as frequently as possible, giving you guys the content that you want. Um, but with all that said, uh, let's just get into this class spotlight on the Cleric. Okay, so I'm just going to start uh, with the description of the cleric, kind of what it is if you're not uh, fully aware. So clerics um, are powerful spellcasters devoted to a particular deity or pantheon of deities. Um, so they're kind of like priests, I guess. They follow like the tenets of these gods, um, you know, like the whatever the god believes and kind of the rules they've set down for their followers. Um, they follow those as they journey throughout the world. They're potent healers, devastating fighters. Um, oh, also something interesting... Um, classes like bards, wizards, sorcerers, warlocks, um, they all use arcane magic, whether it comes from learning it, uh, whether it's innate or from a pact they've made. Um, but clerics, um, are unique spellcasters because they use divine magic, um, which is different because it's bestowed upon them from their deity. Um, so, just to be sure, like, there's kind of different kinds of magic in D&D, um, I mean, maybe I'll talk about it more in a a later episode, but... Um, The most common is, like, arcane magic. um, And that's, you know, your typical kind of magic that wizards and sorcerers and such cast. Um, But then there's divine magic, which, like, comes from, you know, gods or celestials. Um, So it's, like, paladins, priests, clerics. uh, You know, those kind of characters are the ones who use divine magic. Then there's, like, psionic magic. Um, you know, that creatures like Mind Flayers will use or, like, monks maybe or prophets will maybe use kind of psionic mind magic. Um, yeah, there's a couple other just different kind of, ma- like, kinds of magic. It's not described uh, in lots of detail in, in the 5th edition stuff, kind of what the differences are and such. Um, and rules-wise and things, it doesn't really matter what kind of magic you're using. But just, I thought I, I just thought I'd put it out there. Um, most of the classes... Uh, like the main 12 classes in D&D 5th, 5th edition, uh, use arcane magic, um, but clerics are cool because they use divine magic, um, which is just a little different. Okay, so the basic cleric stereotype. Um, the cleric is one of the uh, kind of four key classes in the, in the classic um, D&D party. So I, th- I mentioned this before, um but the classic D D party is Fighter, Rogue, Wizard, and Cleric. Um that, they kind of like cover all the bases. Um it's really balanced. Um just since the beginning this has just been like the classic D&D party. Um So clerics are one of those four um they're kind of known as healers um throughout D&D's history and kind of uh in the community clerics are mostly seen as just like healers um, so in battle all they do is just heal their friends who are you know getting in the fray and stuff but thankfully in 5th edition um, they are not at all limited to just healing um, they, are, they are really powerful they're really versatile uh, really cool because there's so many subclasses which I'll get into later um, you can kind of customize create a cleric that you want to create um, but yes their strengths are in healing uh, they're the, the best healers in the game. And then just an in also just in versatility. Not only their spells, their spells are quite versatile, but also um, they can use armor and weapons and things um, to help better protect themselves. And um, so, you know, they can hold their ground better than other classes like wizards or sorcerers who rely very, very heavily on magic um, and are not very good with armor and weapons and that kind of thing. But clerics, you know, they have... Um, some pretty solid proficiencies in in most armor and weapons. Um, so, you know, they're very versatile in spellcasting and in that area as well, to, to hold their own ground. Um, yeah, they might be the most powerful class in the game. I'm not really sure. You'll have to do some of your own research on that. Um, but power level-wise, they're definitely one of the most powerful, just because of the spells they have access to, uh, their versatility... Um, the fact that there's a subclass made for optimizing healing, which once it gets to higher levels just becomes stupid, um, they are a very, very, very powerful class in 5th edition. Um, maybe wizards didn't want to make it seem like they were just restricted to healing and things like that and wanted to make them more enticing, um, but they are, they're very, you know, quite powerful. Obviously, that, that just comes down to rules and if you're, you know, trying to optimize your character, um, you know, for some players... D&D is not about being the most powerful and stuff, so, you know, it doesn't matter power level-wise for the classes, but Cleric is definitely uh, on the high level of the, the power spectrum uh, when it comes to looking at the classes. Um, so they have lots of strengths, um, and their weaknesses kind of only come in, like, stealthing and kind of rogue things, so um, because of, like, their armor and stuff, and, like, that they can hold shields and weapons... Um, they're probably going to be, like, really bad at, like, stealthing and pickpocketing and things like that. Like, like a rogue or a ranger would be better at. Um, and, like, maybe restricted play and healing, if that's kind of how you build your character, or that's what the, um, party requires you to, to be. Um, so maybe uh, gameplay can get a little monotonous, um, if you're just always healing. Um, definitely if you're, like, not the kind of person who's okay with that. Um, those are kind of the only weaknesses. Um, but the cleric is pretty pretty powerful uh pretty versatile um also just a note on the stereotype clerics not only like in pop culture but just in D&D um they're just stereotypically like followers of like a lawful good god they're kind generous righteous they do what's right uh you know it's it's a, it's a trope that the cleric is like lawful good like the cleric or paladin typically is you know lawful good and they're always keeping the party on track and doing the right thing um But I think it's a really interesting, uh, question to go against a stereotype and, and, you know, what if you followed a different kind of God? Because, depending on the campaign setting, of course, um, the God or or the pantheon of deities you follow, um, maybe they're not lawful good or, or super, you know, inclined towards good. (laughs) Obviously, depending on the campaign setting, um, many of the gods might be, like, more neutral or evil, um... So, what if a cleric followed, you know, one of those kind of gods? How would they play differently, not only in the party makeup and during combat, but just as characters? Um, because something that defines a cleric, that makes them stand out above all the other classes, um, kind of the main thing that makes clerics unique is the fact that they follow a god. Um, and they do have some similarities, actually, to paladins. Um, paladins and clerics are actually quite similar, um, because they like divine magic, they're both healers, they, they're both, you know, pretty good with, like, weapons and armor. Obviously, paladins are more soldier, uh, more fit for combat, like, weapon combat, and clerics are more fit for spellcasting. Um, but they're pretty similar, uh, and a pal- paladin might also serve a god, but in 5th edition, uh, they don't really follow a god in their subclass or anything. As a character, they can, but instead they just, like, follow an oath, more of more of ideals, um, uh, and rules to live by, rather than a god. Whereas, um, clerics, you know, follow a specific god in a specific domain, whether it, you know be the knowledge domain, the life domain, uh, whatever that is. But uh, oh, and, and they're also kind of similar to warlocks because they follow like another being. Um, I'll probably get into like the difference between them in a second here. But you know, just asking that question: What if your, you know, your cleric followed a different kind of god? That's not always like the lawful, um, do the right thing, god. Um, and so to illustrate this, I want to talk about uh, Critical Role for a second here. I've talked about this show uh, in past episodes. Uh, you might have heard of it. Critical Role is probably the most famous uh, D&D show out there. Um, it's a bunch of nerdy-ass voice actors uh, playing D&D. Uh, really entertaining show. It's really great. You can learn a lot from it as a DM, from a, as a player. Um, it has a great, great community. Uh, it's a great show. But uh, as the recording of this episode, there are two campaigns... They finished the first, um, I believe, in the December of 2017, and they're currently on their second campaign. There are two clerics I want to focus on, one from the first campaign and one from the campaign they're running now. So the first campaign, there was a gnome cleric named Pike Trickfoot, uh, and she followed a god named Sarenrae, who was like the god of light. And uh, she was a very, very lawful, good character. She was very kind and generous, and she loved everyone, and she wanted to do the right thing, um, and you know she spent her time in temples helping the poor and things like that. That's more of a stereotypical cleric. Is it a bad thing? not at all um, you know f- as like for most of us as like regular people, um that's kind of how we think you know we want to help people who are needy and we want to do the right thing and such. So you know it's not that hard to be playing like a lawful good you know cleric or. You know, just like a neutral good cleric or someone like that. Um, because, you know, that's how most of us are innately. Um, that's how we're raised. But, yeah, so, you know, you can get a lot out of that. Pike is a great, great character. Um, you know, she's, you know, really cool. Like, not only does she heal um, in the game, but, like, she has some crazy uh, clutch moments that she's done in battle. Um, you know, from attacking herself and, and um, you know, using her her weapons and stuff. But you know Pike is kind of the stereotypical good light um, cleric. But there is a cleric in the second campaign named Jester, and Jester is a tiefling cleric who follows a god named the Traveler, and the Traveler is more neutral on the spectrum. Um, you know, they care more about just kind of causing kind of chaos, um, not in a, not in an evil dark way, but like just in a fun. Uh, just in a fun trickery way, you know, like pulling pranks and just bringing, like, laughter into the world and, you know, lighting up people's days. So that's the one that Jester follows. So she's kind of a prankster, uh, you know, she's, she's very tricksy, um, you know, much more, like, inappropriate and boisterous than Pike is. Um, she doesn't follow, like, an evil god or anything like that, um, but she's not... Jester her as a character is not, you know, tip, like super lawfully good and, and um, you know, kind of the stereotypical like light give to the poor cleric. Um, because the god she follows, the tenets are different. Um, the gods are just about like, you know, just pull pranks wherever you go and, you know, sow chaos. Um, you know what I mean? Like brighten up someone's day, make yourself laugh, make your friends laugh. Like that's kind of what the god is focused on. Um, that's what she does. And so that's kind of what she believes. And so she's bit off the spec, like the, the stereotypical cleric. Um, yeah, so it's been kind of interesting to you know, look at both of those, um, you know, different kinds of clerics looking at the different kind of gods they follow, how it fits, you know, in the stereotype. There's also another cleric um, in the second campaign, um, which I, I don't need to get into here. Um, he also has a pretty interesting relationship, uh, kind of with his god, uh, really cool character, but I don't want to get into him right now. Um, okay, so, just wanted to, if you know anything about Critical Role, um, or maybe if you didn't, just wanted to kind of illustrate, like, being, playing a Cleric does not mean you have to be that, like, holy priest, um, you know, reverend kind of character. Um, depending on kind of what god you follow, you can be, you know, more neutral or maybe even kind of evil. So, this is a question I get a lot, uh, and I was kind of confused, actually, from the beginning. How do Clerics and their gods differ from Warlock's And their patrons. So if you're not familiar, uh, the warlock class, which I will get into eventually in one of these class spotlights, they're one of their kind of main unique things is they've made a pact with a patron of sorts who has given them their power. Um, So here's the difference. Clerics follow a god. Um, They follow the gods like rules and tenets and beliefs and ideals. Uh, they don't necessarily have a personal relationship with the god, depending on your campaign setting and how, like, religion and stuff works. Um, but they, you know, they follow them and, you know, those kind of, that kind of belief system. And they do what that god wants its followers to do on Earth, right? Whereas warlocks have a personal relationship with their patron. And they've made a pact. They've made a deal. There's been an exchange of something, right? They've given something up for, the, from, for this power from this patron, this does not necessarily mean it's evil. Um, you know, they could have done this to a, a, a you know, a good being. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be like a demon or anything like that. Um, though typically warlocks are seen as like darker just because of, um, you know, the fact that they're warlocks. Um, but this pack doesn't, you know, have to necessarily be evil or dark or anything. Um, but they've, you know, they've exchanged something. So they have more of a relationship with this, this patron. Um, they don't necessarily agree with the patron or follow their beliefs they can very much disagree with them but nevertheless they've made this pact they've made this trade and so they're connected to this patron and they have more of a personal relationship whereas clerics follow a god and do you know what the god commands and things like that yes they can also have like a personal relationship with the god and, you know obviously depending on the campaign setting also clerics um follow deities um you know, like literal like gods, whereas warlocks make packs with just powerful beings, so like arch demons or um, powerful fae, you know kings and queens, or you know otherworldly beings, kind of like Cthulhu, or you know celestial beings like a very powerful angel or something like that. Um, so just because I kind of get this question a lot, and in case we're confused, that's the difference between you know clerics following their gods and warlocks packs with their patrons. Okay, so getting into kind of this race background synergy. If you listen to any of the previous um, class spotlights, it's just kind of where I go over like how to optimize your uh, your character if you care about like the numbers and stuff. Um, so for the best races for cleric, um, they're probably hill dwarf, wood elf, and human. Um, so here's something interesting. So clerics prioritize wisdom as their most uh, important ability of the six. Abilities, Wisdom is the most important for Clerics because they use it for all their spells and some of their abilities. Um, So you want to have highest Wisdom if you're playing a Cleric. Obviously, this is, you know, you do want to have typically high Wisdom as a Cleric. If you want to go kind of against the grain and if if the character that you've made is not very wise, um, you know, kind of foolish, you can have them have lower Wisdom for flavor-wise. Um, But they won't be very powerful as clerics, uh, you know, won't be super useful in battle or anything like that. But if you're someone who doesn't care as much, of course that's fine. What's interesting is that most races uh, in 5th edition give a plus 2 to an ability and then a plus 1 to another ability. Um, What's interesting is that no particular race gives plus 2 to Wisdom. Wisdom is used in a lot of classes. Cleric, Druid, Ranger. Um, It's pretty important for all these classes but no um, race actually gives a plus two to it, which is just a little interesting uh, thing. Hill dwarves and wood elves both give a plus one to it, and then, of course, a human gives plus one because a human gets plus one to every ability score. Um, the most typical, uh, also stereotypical, uh, clerics in D&D kind of entertainment or just pop culture in general are, like, kind of these stocky dwarves um, you know, who follow this, this, this god very righteously, or like a wood elf with a staff and robes, more of like a priest. Or, you know, kind of a human, uh, maybe in between those kind of two things. Um, so not only are like they stereotypically portrayed like that, um, they're also, I guess, kind of the best races for a cleric, if you care. There's not really bad races for cleric. Um, because um, cleric, you know, can be pretty versatile. You can kind of fine-tune it to what you want it to be. Um, like, if you want to focus more on, you know, being stronger with weapons... And, you know, being able like, go into combat with swords and shields. Um, choosing a race that gives pluses to, like, strength um, can be cool. Um, if you want to be more of, like, a charismatic, um, you know, kind of someone who likes to spread the religion to everyone, maybe choose a race that has, you know, gives bonuses to charisma. Um, so there's not really any, like, bad race for cleric. But if you do want to optimize it, you want to choose Hildwarf, Wood Elf, or Human just because they give that little bonus to Wisdom. Um, the... Now I go to like backgrounds. Like I've said before in previous class spotlights, backgrounds don't add much rules-wise and number-wise. So if you're trying to optimize your character, they don't really matter in the long run as much as your race um, or your class. But looking at stereotypical clerics, um, the most common background is an acolyte or a sage. So an acolyte is someone who grew up in a temple, uh, grew up in a monastery, You know, someone who has lived the religious life um, for a long time. So this makes sense for a cleric, someone who's raised in a church, raised in a temple. um, So they are very familiar with their god, very familiar with religion, uh, and all that kind of thing. And sages are those, you know, kind of learners, whether it be, like, professors or scribes or, um, you know, any kind of, like, someone who's curious and, like, likes to learn. Uh, Typically, you know, someone, like, older and wizened. Um, That also would make sense for a cleric. Um you know a sage cleric who is more interested in like the intellectual side of religion um than like an acolyte um you know an acolyte was probably someone who's raised in faith so they just you know they have faith in their in their god they have you know they like they un- they they know a lot about like religion just from growing up like it's ingrained within like you know their psyche and their faith whereas a sage cleric might be someone who looks at religion more intellectually and and like follows this god uh maybe because of like personal reasons or just because you know they can see like the benefits of following a god um you know kind of if it's healthy or you know if it gives them power um the unstereotypical versions the things that go against the stereotype stereotype of a cleric uh for backgrounds are charlatan and criminal um so a charlatan is you know, you know someone on the streets who swindles people um you know tricks people like i said depending on like what god you choose or whatever You can go against a stereotype. Jester, um, you know, from Critical Role, who follows that trickery god, uh, you know, could, could, you know, a character like that could have a background as a charlatan. You know, if they follow a god who loves trickery and chaos and pulling pranks, then growing up on, you know, know, living on the streets, swindling people for money, tricking them, would make very, you know, would make a lot of sense. Um, Also, like, being a criminal, you know, maybe you grew up as a criminal in that life, but recently you've discovered this this god and they, you know you've you've seen the light and you've you've left behind your old criminal ways and anything but it's your background because you know you grew up in like that kind of society but recently you've become you know you're trying to find out religion and you've been going to a temple um but obviously these are you know not very stereotypical clerics but of course could still make for very interesting stories um i you know you probably you know can tell this but you know i stress that stereotype is you know, it's, it's whatever, like, it's, it's a good thing, because for new players, it's easier for them to get into character, it's easy for them to play characters, because, you know, they're familiar with the stereotype, and they can get to that mindset easy and things, um, and it can still be, and it can be really fulfilling to play, like, a stereotype, like, that, that's totally fine, but then also, by all means, go against the stereotype, like, play what you, play what you want to, um, you know, play, play someone unique, uh, you know, kind of a character that isn't seen very often, uh, you know, kind of discover what kind of that kind of storyline or character art can be. Um, I, I just think d d is such a great game because you can just do whatever you want. Create the character you want. Play uh, the story you want to play. Um, so, I've talked about this before, like stereotype, no stereotype. Um, I think it's really up for you to decide uh, what you want to do. If you feel more comfortable playing off of a stereotype, maybe if you like more of a new player, yeah, go for it. It can be super fulfilling. It can be really fun. If you're someone who likes to create more unique things, wants to play through you know, kind of a storyline they've never played through before, or a character arc they've never experienced before, then go against the grain, do something new, do something fresh. Um, so yeah, you've probably heard me stress that like a bunch in all my, uh, in all these episodes, but that's why I include like this best background, worst background, best race, worst race kind of worst race kind of thing, um, just because, you know, I kind of want to go over like, what if you want to like, if you're someone who cares about, Playing like an optimized, stereotypical cleric who's going to be powerful in battle and stuff. If you're someone who cares about that, here's, how, here's what, you know, how, what can help you. But if you're someone who wants to explore a new avenue in story and role-playing, um, here are some things that maybe you'd be interested in. Okay, so that's enough of that. Uh, and let's just go on to uh, my two uh, spotlights on two different key features of the class. Okay, so the first feature, the first kind of ability I'm going to spotlight is Channel Divinity. Uh, clerics get this at level 2. And it is um, well. Actually, it's not unique to clerics. Paladins also have a channel divinity. Um, but basically, it's described as like channeling power directly from your deity. Um, though that's kind of what your spellcasting is based off of. I guess this is more like a direct way. Basically, it's like you have limited uses of channel divinity, and you can use it. I you can use your your the, like these limited uses of channel divinity um, to either activate an ability based on your subclass, or if you're a cleric, turn undead. Um, so I guess this is more of the, the feature spotlight for, for cleric. Uh, Turn undead is unique to clerics, and um, basically it means like you send out like a blast of energy, and then any low level undead nearby have to make like a wisdom save or something, and then be frightened of you, be turned, so like they run away. Uh, when you get to higher levels, um, you can start affecting more powerful undead, and even like instead of just turning them and frightening them, just straight up destroying them. Um, so, this has been around in D&D with clerics for a long, long time. It's kind of a staple in, in the cleric, steroid, like, the the cleric class, um, is this Turn Undead feature. And I think it's been integrated in, like, lots of video games and stuff as well. I, I don't really like it, to be honest. I don't really agree with it. Um, I think it's fine, I guess. It won't come up very often. I mean, obviously, it depends on what kind of campaign you're playing. Um, You know, if the whole campaign is focused on a war against, you know, zombies and necromancers, this is going to be very, very useful. But in just kind of more of a regular campaign where you'll come across undead every once in a while, in the cases where you actually remember you have this ability, it can be useful, I guess, sometimes, just kind of to speed up combat, I guess, just, like, destroying and getting rid of those lower-level undead to speed up combat. I don't know it the, one of the reasons i don't like it is one because it kind of has rare uses and also just because i think with the 5th edition push for branching out of stereotype being unique doing doing whatever you want i'm focusing more on role playing and story it i don't like it because it pushes more for that stereotypical good righteous cleric Um, because, you know, undead necromancy, it's seen as evil and dark in, you know, pop culture and in most, like, campaigns or worlds. So, like, obviously the good, righteous cleric will send out the, the, you know, the burst of light to scare away the undead or to destroy the undead. Um, but, I don't know, it, like, what if your cleric is a follower of the god of undeath or the god of death? And, you know, maybe zombies or skeletons aren't, like, super evil or anything in, in, in your campaign setting, then having this ability is kind of counterintuitive for them to be scaring away, like, their allies, or... I don't know. It just seems a little weird to me. I guess they've kept it in there just because it's it's such a staple with clerics just over the course of, of D&D. Um, and I guess... It, I mean, it's pretty good, I guess. It can be it can be useful, but... I don't know. Maybe if they had made it more customizable to which god you're following or kind of which domain you're in... um. You know, if you follow a god who, like, is more of that, like, lawful, good, righteous um, kind of god, then I guess this would make sense, turning undead. dead. But then also maybe, like, more like demons or devils would make sense if you're one of the good kind of players or... I don't know. It's whatever, I guess. It it doesn't matter too much, I guess, but... It's just, it's one of the things that I, I don't really like about the cleric class, just... I don't think it fits very well with this new thing that I love that they're doing in 5th edition. With the backgrounds and all the role playing uh, things that they're pushing for. Um, you know, focusing more on story and playing than like rules and optimizing your character. It just, I don't know, it just fits into like the, the righteous cleric stereotype. Whatever, you don't have to use the ability, you'll probably forget you have it anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I would just kind of focus on that. So you can use this channel divinity feature to either do the turn undead or destroy undead thing or to do something specifically related to your uh, subclass, which I'll get into in a second. The second feature I want to spotlight is Divine Intervention. This is awesome. I love this. So you get this at 10th level. Um, In 5th edition, you can only go up to 20th level. So that means halfway through your campaign, halfway through your character's arc, you're gaining Divine Intervention. Um, I think that's something that's really interesting that should be looked into. Uh, Why do you get Divine Intervention halfway through the campaign? Well, here's what I think. If you listen to my campaign progression episode, um, if you haven't, I would, uh, you know, I would suggest you go listen to it. I think it's really interesting. It talks about um, you know, how campaigns progress, like the story, the threat level, the stakes. Um, but if you, you know, kind of understand how story works, um, 10th level, right? That's smack dab in the middle of your character arc, smack dab in the middle of your campaign. So if you have listened to the campaign progression, um, episode, or if you kind of know how you should run a and d campaign, um, well, I, I, sh- I shouldn't say, like, should, because I don't want to tell anyone what to do, um, D&D is a very free open game, you know, you should be able to do whatever you want, but in, like, a classic, you know, tried and true campaign progression, um, during the middle, during, like, the middle of your campaign, um, your character's, are, you know, they kind of know of this big evil. Maybe they fought the big evil before. They're kind of conscious of what the main plot line is. They should be conscious of what the main plot line is uh, in the campaign. The threat level isn't super high, um, but, you know, their lives are at stake. They're, you know, gaining some powerful spells, some powerful equipment. You know, they're becoming quite well known around the world as heroes and things like that. Um, Divine Intervention, basically, it's an ability uh, where you roll a 100 sided dice. Well, a d100 which means you roll 2d10s and they make up a, a number out of 100. Um, if you do have 100 sided dice, you should use that cuz that's awesome. Um, basically roll a ent- you when you use divine intervention you ask like you're like ac- using your action to like ask your god for like a favor, you know, for them to intervene and you roll you roll the d100 and you have to get a number equal to or lower than your level. Um so for getting this 10th level, right? You have a 10% chance of getting this divine intervention thing. Um, and even at the max level, that twentieth level, right? There's still, you know, not that high of a chance that, that you'll get this. And it resets every seven days, so you can only, only use this every week in in game, of course. Um, so then, if you do get it, it's up for the DM to interpret how what the what, you know what kind of favor the character asked for and how their god intervenes. You know, depending on the situation, depending on how powerful the DM wants to make this ability. I think it's really cool because it leaves it up to the DM and the player. Um, it, you know, it doesn't specify it to any god or fit into any stereotype. It depends on, you know, the, the kind of character the cleric is and what the DM wants to do with it. And I think that's really cool. Um, but it also is a little hard, definitely for, like, new DMs and stuff. Because there's really, like, no rules or anything attached. It's, like, really open. A lot like like the wish spell. So it can be kind of daunting um, for DMs, you know, maybe who are not very good at improvising or more new to this kind of thing. Um, But personally, I really like the ability, and I really like that it comes in at 10th level because this means that your characters are starting to take a turn uh, towards defeating the, you know, the main, like, the main bad guy. The stakes are rising. The gods are beginning to take notice of them um, being heroes and starting to save, save the world and things like that. They, you know, at 10th level, they've become, you know, Champions for their god, um, because you know throughout the first ten levels, they've been you know following their god's um, you know ideals and tenets and doing things for their god, and it would make sense now that like a tenth level, their god's beginning to notice them and giving them favors and such that they ask for. Um, so I just wanted to focus on divine intervention. Uh, I think it's a really cool ability, um, and I think it's also kind of interesting how it comes in a tenth level. Um, I think that was the right choice to make, and it's, it's just all in all a really cool ability. Um, so before we close off this episode, I'm going to real quick go over the um, seven different subclasses of Cleric. Yeah, so there are seven different subclasses uh, for the Cleric in the Base Player's Handbook. For most classes, uh, there are two to three subclasses. Um, but for Cleric, uh, there's seven, and I think for Wizard, there's six or so. So because there's so much, um, I won't get into each one. Uh, I'll just go give you a know, quick, brief description. Basically, for cleric, you actually get your subclass at first level, whereas most classes you get it at third. Um, You get to choose your subclass at first level, and you choose a divine domain. They're called divine domains. Um, Basically, uh, in 5th edition, they've split um, kind of religion and gods into seven different domains, um, and depending on who your god is, um, kind of their belief system and what they do, what they're the god of, and such, they fit into one of these domains. So if you're following a god, this particular god that fits into this domain, that is your domain. So I'll go over them now real quick. There's the knowledge domain, life, light, nature, tempest, trickery, and war. Now more domains are being released in such because... If you're thinking of, you know, a pantheon of gods maybe in a D&D campaign setting like the Forgotten Realms... Or maybe like the Greek pantheon or the Norse pantheon... You're thinking, some gods don't really fit into any of these domains. Um, but, anywho... Basically, let's say, you know, you're playing in a Norse mythology game. Uh, and your character uh, is a cleric of Thor, right? They would probably fit into, like, the Tempest domain. Because Thor is the god of thunder and lightning. So that means that they, their divine domain is Tempest. So they gain all... that's their subclass. If maybe they're a follower of Loki, it's probably the Trickery domain, right? So they gain all... They, that's their subclass. So that's what the div- divine domains are. Um, I'll go... Over real quick, just kind of the basic abilities and things you get. So, if uh, you're in the knowledge domain, if you've chosen that, um, it's pretty cool. Definitely not the most powerful. Pretty interesting, though. Um, You can, like, become better in, like, a skill or a tool for 10 minutes. Um, You can read thoughts. Um, It's pretty cool. Not super powerful, but pretty interesting and can be used really cool in, like, story and role-playing. Okay. Life domain. Um, That's the second one. It is broken as hell. It's so unbelievably broken. Basically, the life domain uh, maximizes healing to just a stupid, stupid level. Definitely, when you get to higher levels, like seventeenth, it becomes so stupidly powerful. It's kind of hilarious. Um, in my in my current campaign, one of the players played a uh, a life cleric for a while, um, because their other character was um dead, uh, and they were trying to find the body to resurrect it. So he played a life cleric for a while and. Oh my gosh, it is so freakishly powerful. It, like, maximizes all healing, makes it stupid. Um, is it broken? Yes. Definitely at later levels. But also, you don't need to optimize it. You don't need to, you know... And in the early levels, it's not super stupid powerful. Um, it just kind of makes healing better. It just, it's just, like, increases your, your healing um, abilities. But yes, at later levels, and definitely if you're an optimized uh, player, the life domain is broken. It's crazy powerful. Okay, under that is the light domain. Um, Basically, in this one, you can, like, blind attackers with light, making them harder to hit you and your friends, and then do some extra radiant damage. Uh, And then the nature domain, you can, like, talk to and command plants and animals. Sure, kind of utility stuff, I guess. Um, Tempest domain, probably the weakest. You, like, can push people away and do some thunder damage, I guess. Sure. Uh, In the trickery domain, um, invoke duplicity. I believe you get this at second level. You can use your channel divinity instead of turning undead to invoke duplicity. This is the coolest thing in the world. Basically, you create an illusion of yourself like 60 feet away or so. And you can like make it do different things. Um, You know, it's just an illusion of yourself. Not only is this, you know, pretty useful having an illusion of yourself so you can use it to like, trick people and stuff. You can also cast spells as if you were casting it from that location. That's really crazy, because some of the most powerful uh, cleric spells are melee, so you have to be touching uh, your target. If you're more of a squishy cleric, not a lot of you know, high armor class or high health, just invoke duplicity, send your illusion right up to the enemy uh, while you're still a safe distance away, and cast these crazy spells into their face. Uh, invoke duplicity is really cool. Is it powerful? i I guess not the most powerful domain. Um but evocability is just such a cool such a cool ability. Uh and there's also some other like illusion, invisibility stuff in the trickery domain, I think. Okay, and the seventh uh divine domain is war domain. Basically, you make it so like you never miss, you can attack more and you're basically just become a paladin. Um it just makes you better at like the weapon uh kind of combat, you know, makes it so you can like wade into battle. So, yeah. Um I don't really like it just because it makes it too similar to a paladin, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, like I said, depends on how, like, you're optimizing it and how you're playing your character. Okay, so those are all the subclasses, uh, and let's uh, just get into kind of what kind of playstyle cleric fits, some of my personal experience, uh, before we sign off here. Okay, so cleric uh, can work for people who don't mind, you know, be- like, they don't care about really being heroes in battle, and are fine with, like, healing every turn. Um, I did say, like, he- you know, clerics are not, you know, like, like just healers in 5th edition now. They're super virtual, they can do tons of things. Other classes, uh, you know, can do some healing as well. But they are the best healer, and, you know, they can still be seen as just, like, the main healer in the party. And, uh, you know, like, they're... I, I hate when, like, people say, like, if you're a cleric, like, you're required to, like, heal the party. Like, if you're a cleric, do whatever the heck you want. Like, go up and hit that monster with your mace, or cast that crazy spell. Um, but... Clerics are very powerful at healing, and so, you know, if you're a cleric, you may want to do that every once in a while. Um, But, you know, so if you're someone who doesn't really care about being a hero in battle, um, you're fine with healing every turn. Like, it makes you feel like you're, you know, doing your part and stuff. Yeah, playing a cleric can be totally fine. Um, Ashley Johnson, who played Pike Trickfoot in the first campaign in Critical Role, uh, she was one of those players who didn't really care about being optimized, didn't really care about like, being powerful and everything. So she was fine, like, healing players and You know, being kind of that stereotypical uh, cleric in battle. Um, And it was, you know, useful, and it was, you know, really cool. And it was fine. Just because she's not the kind of person who, you know, really cares about that kind of thing. Um, Also, like, players who like starting, like, with a relationship with a deity, you know. um, Players who like having that, like, already set, like, ideals and tenets that they're following this god. uh, And, like, the god and this belief system that they're already following. You know, so they can easily slip into, like, the mindset of this character and things. Um, players should also like that idea, that concept. Um, also a good reason to play a cleric. Um, uh, but being a cleric might not be good for players who enjoy, you know, going right into battle, feeling epic in battle. Um, but, based on your subclass and other things you choose, clerics can be that. Clerics can be the ones who go into battle, take hits, uh, swing their weapons... Uh, you know, be dealing crazy blows, depending, you know, if you pick, like, war Domain or something, optimize your character. Um, just Clerics are just very versatile. They don't really have a lot of weaknesses. Um, So, yeah, so, like, depending on your playstyle, I think, like, uh, most people can get fun out of playing a Cleric. Um, they're quite customizable, like, with the Divine Domain and such, and the way you play them and build them. Um, so I think most players can, you know, have a fulfilling time out of, out of playing the Cleric. So, just real quick... Um, if you heard the episode, uh, you know, it was one of my earliest episodes I did with my friend Gabe, um, so he's starting a new campaign this summer, um, and so I'm playing in that, and I chose to play as a cleric, um, so I'm telling you right now, like, I've not played as the character yet, so I have never played as a cleric yet, um, so I can't tell you any, like, personal experience as playing a cleric, um, but I can't tell you, like, why. So... I'm someone who doesn't care very much about the numbers, optimizing their character, making them the most powerful they can be. Um, I care very much just more about story, character, um, role-playing, things like that. Um, so, the, I, you know, I, I've had lots of different ideas of characters I want to build. Um, sometimes, you know, they'll just pop into my head. So, uh, you know, I've, I've written down kind of just these different kind of characters I want to build one day, the different stories I want to explore. And one of these was kind of like a good-hearted... Um, you know, kind of cleric, uh, kind of this like this good-hearted guy who, you know, is trying to protect, you know, the oppressed and deals with not being able, you know, not being able to protect um, some of his loved ones in the past. Um, and just, the cleric just fit into that. Um, just the, the like, the, of all the classes, the cleric just fit best into that character, uh, kind of that story, that arc. Um, so that's why I chose a cleric. Not because I want to, not because I particularly want to play a cleric or anything like that. It's just the thing that I care first and foremost is like the character and stuff. So anything I can do to go that adds to that, um, the race, the class, any feats I take, that's what I'm gonna do. So the cleric just fit the character the best out of all the classes. So that's why he's a cleric. Um, so if you're kind of one of those players who are like me who, you know, just more cares more about just like the characters, the story, um, you know, just chooses everything based around the, the story they want to tell with their character. Um, that's really cool. Uh, obviously, that's the kind of person I am. That's why I chose a cleric. Um, I'll, probably, I'll let you know uh, in the future, um, now that after I start playing a couple sessions uh, in this campaign as a cleric, what you like playing as a cleric. Um, I'm not a player a lot. I'm much more of a DM. Um, so I might also tell you guys like my experience about uh, being a player. Um, but anywho, yeah, that, that's kind of why I chose a cleric for my character. I'm pretty excited, uh, and it kind of fit perfectly because going in alphabetical order, the class spotlight I was focusing on this week was cleric, and I just made a cleric character. Um, so that was kind of cool. So, you know, I learned a lot um, about my character doing research for this this episode and such, and I'm pretty excited to play a cleric. I think they're really cool. Um, but yeah. All right, guys, that brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, Sorry again for such the late upload, uh, and I apologize if I'm not uh, able to upload a third episode this week. Um, But I hope uh, you enjoyed this one. I hope you learned something. I answered some of your questions. Uh, Thank you so much for listening, and uh, have a great day.